And Lord, I just thank you for the beauty that is your creation. How we're able to just see how bright and how beautiful and that it all looks around us. And especially when the ice is in the trees, God, and the sun's out. We're just so, so thankful, um, Lord, for that beauty that's around us. But we're also reminded that even what we see down here, even the most beautiful spectacle of, of sunlight through ice and beautiful blanket of pure white snow, Father, we are reminded that the glories of heaven will far, far outshine any of the beauty here on earth. Thank you for that reminder also, Lord, that even those snow covers, you continue to take care of the animals. You continue to provide food and to meet their needs, even in these difficult times. And if so much for the animals, Lord, how much more for us? Thank you, Father, for protecting us, for watching over us, for continuing to provide for us. Pray that your blessings are on this service, Lord, as we seek to honor and glorify you in our time together this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Numbers chapter 13, new territory. At the doorsteps. Last week we went beyond Babel and now we're standing at the doorsteps of some truly new territory for the Israelites. Numbers chapter 20 records a really critical moment in the history of the Israelites. They're now out of bondage in Egypt where God promised them He would take them out, He would bring a deliverer, and that deliverer would lead them to the promised land. Um, This is the land promised to uh, God's people hundreds of years ago through, uh, through Abraham that, that God said, I'm giving you a land, I'm going to prepare it, go look at it, Abraham. This was to be the culmination of that promise, that they were able to possess it, to inhabit that land, it was to be theirs, it was prime real estate. So after God had led them out of Egypt by a mighty hand, brought them across the, the wilderness, He has now led them to the very doorsteps of the promised land for them to inherit And chapter 13 begins by telling us that God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to get some men together and to go spy out the territory or the land that God says, I'm giving you. Okay, so God says, here's the plan, Moses, get you some guys and send them out to go spy out the land. Let them go look at it, survey it, let them do everything they need to do and then bring that intelligence back to you and then share it with the congregation of Israel. So Moses does exactly as God tells him to do, and the spies go out, and they, uh, the 12 spies go out, and they return 40 days later. 40 days later. And of those 12 spies, there is a difference in opinion over what the Israelites should do in order to enter the promised land. And I want you to see that, and this morning I want you to think about this, that the promised land was not just a literal body of of land. It was not just a literal place that had literal borders on it. Um, It was not just a a territory. It, more than that, even really represented faith. It represented the bounty and the blessing that God wanted to provide His people with. It wasn't just dirt and water and milk and honey. It was a reminder to them that God is going to accomplish what He promises. He always keeps His promise. He is always faithful and true. And this land was beautiful, it was great, and it would have been a constant reminder to God's people that He delights in blessing us. And I want you to see, in verse 25, 
Chapter 13, verse 25. The Bible tells us that the spies returned from spying after 40 days, and now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh Barnea. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. The fruit of the land that they brought back and showed them were, were clusters of grapes that were so large, the Bible said, they had to be carried on a rod between two men. That was how large the grape clusters were. Verse 27, Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, their enemies. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Let me, let me go to chapter 14 just for a moment. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and all the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Let's stop there. <sighs> Tough times. Two different groups emerged from the spies. The overall majority of the voices that came from the spies were those of a negative report. Those saying, yeah, there is good fruit and it is a land flowing with milk and honey, but all of our enemies are encamped there. They all live there. They dwell there. They're not just going to give this land up. They're giants. They are fortified cities. They're great and mighty cities. And there are so many of them, we just seem, they just seem like grasshoppers. It was remarkable. So they're giving this incredibly negative report. But when it comes down to it, if you think about it, and the first thing I want us to really consider is that the problem with the Israelites, the problem with those ten messengers that came back, that gave the negative report, is really simple. They did not believe the promises of God. Now think about it, it's really that simple. They didn't believe the promises of God. We know they didn't believe the promises of God because first they came back reporting that they couldn't take the land. Bad idea. Don't go in there. It's awful. We're going to lose people. We're going to die. It's going to be horrible. Don't go. 
And we also know because the majority of the people listen to the report and begin to weep and to wail. Think of what this did for the Israelites. They're standing at the doorstep of a new life. They are literally standing on the cusp of all things new, of great and wonderful blessings. And because some of the messengers said, no, it's not good, they chose to believe the report of those ten men over the promises of God that they had seen had never failed. It is remarkable, isn't it? That they would take the word of those ten men, they would take the testimony over of those ten men over all of the record of God's mighty hand. Well, what, had the, what had the Israelites seen up to this point? I mean, I can understand maybe if this was their first step out of bondage. But think of what they had already seen at this point. They had already seen God topple the strongest nation on earth at that time with frogs, flies, and lice. They had seen God stretch out His hand and literally overthrow Egypt and bring them all out with all the spoils of Egypt. They had seen what could be one of the greatest miracles in all the Old Testament was the parting of the Red Sea. They witnessed that. They literally Walk through that miracle with God's hand holding that water apart from them. They had already seen that. They had seen God provide food in the middle of the desert when there wasn't any. They had seen God provide water from a rock. They had seen God defeat enemies in miraculous ways. They had seen God appear as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There was really a a tremendous portfolio of miracles that they had already seen. And yet when they're standing right on the border, right on the boundary, having not just the promise of God, but this portfolio of accomplishments and faithfulness of God, they still listen to the report of those ten men. They begin to weep and to wail. It brought faithlessness. brought fear. It brought despair. They began to weep and mourn. They began to question God. And then they began to actually consider a coup, taking new leadership and heading back to Egypt. It's remarkable. Here's a question for you. And I don't know that I have the answer I can guess. It was God's idea to send the messengers in the first place. See, God in chapter 13 is the one that told Moses, you get those spies and you send them. Why would God, already knowing hearts, why would he have Moses send those messengers out, send those men to spy and come back, God knowing that they were going to, ten of them were going to have a negative report, knowing that the heart of the people were going to melt like wax. Why in the world, why wouldn't God just say, hey, Moses, I'm putting you in charge to lead those people in there and take it. And I can't help but think, You know what? God gave them an opportunity to believe. God gave them the freedom to say, you know what? I believe what God said. God gave them an opportunity. They could turn to the left hand or to the right hand. He gave them options. And you know what? Even though 10 of those spies came back and said, we can't do it. There were two that said we can. Throughout that moment, there were voices of truth. Though they were drowned out by the ten, though they were drowned out by the weeping and the wailing of the multitudes, 
there were still two, Caleb and Joshua, that said, we can take the land. Let's do this. But, as you know, in our life also, God gives us an opportunity, gives us options, allowing us to the, the uh, possibility to believe or not to believe, to cling to his promises or to reject them. It's our choice. God allowed them to have all the information, all the knowledge they needed. It was a test. And almost all of them failed it. Notice the second thing. There were tremendous consequences. Tremendous consequences. Let me tell you the positive consequences first. Positive consequences is that God said Caleb and Joshua are going to get to go into the promised land. Those who believed. Those who took me at my word and knew that I'm faithful. Those two and their families are going to get to go in. Not for 40 years. But they're going to get to go in. But I want you to see what God did to the others. For the ten spies that came back, said we can't go. God did something pretty extraordinary. He had something special lined up for them. The Bible says that those ten spies died by a plague. No details. <laughs> All we know is that it was a plague. It was from God's hand. And it was specifically intended for those ten spies that came back and said we can't go. You know what that would do to that camp? What that would do to that camp is it would cause the people to say, hey, God's not happy with us. It was a very tangible, real way that they could understand God is not pleased with our decision. God realizes we just messed up. Think about the other thing. God says, because it took the spies 40 days, I'm going I'm to leave you out of the promised land for 40 years. You're going to have to wander a year for every day the spies were gone. You're going to have to wander in the wilderness until this generation is passed. And then God says, because you said that our children, did God bring us out here for our children to die? God says, I'm going to take what you said, and instead of that, I'm going to bring it as a blessing for your children because I'm going to allow, once you die, your children to go in there. I'm going to prove to you that I am faithful and I am honest and I am true. So the ten, bad, the ten negative spies, they died of a plague. But that entire generation, save Caleb and Joshua, wandered. Wandered. Wandering means they're not going anywhere. There's no real goal. You probably have heard me say this before, but how would you have liked to have been the last guy of that generation alive? knowing the rest of the Israelites can't go in until he's dead. You know people were wanting him to hasten death. That would have been an awful feeling. He probably would not have had many friends on Facebook at that point in his life. Guys, here's the truth. God has given us his promises. He's given us his word as individuals. And you know what? God will allow us to be able to stand at those points in our life. Maybe it's financially. We're looking and we're saying, God, I, I don't understand how, this is, how I'm going to get through this. 
Or maybe we're standing at a place where we can choose to believe God's promises or to forget them, reject them. But we must remember that whatever our decision is, there are consequences either way. If we choose to believe God, take Him at His word, we can know that in God's way, in God's time, there are blessings. There's a reward for obedience. But we must also believe, we must also know that the other side of that coin, just as a coin has two sides and both are valid, the same thing is true with God, is that if we choose to reject His truth, if we choose to not believe His promises, there are consequences for that as well. The greatest consequence, I say beyond the fact of those ten who died by the plague, I would have to say that the greatest consequence is that those children of Israel were left to wander for 40 years knowing, knowing that they were never going to get to see the land that God intended for them to have knowing that they were never going to get to step a foot in that land flowing with milk or honey. Wouldn't it have been awesome? It would have been so awesome, wouldn't it? Had we opened up our Bible to Numbers chapter 11 or 13, and been able to read where they sent out the spies and 10 of the 12 came back and said, we can't take it, and gave all the reasons why. Wouldn't it have been awesome if all the congregation would have lifted up their voices and rather than weeping and wailing and doubting God, wouldn't it have been great if we could have read where they said, let's go do it. Let's go do it. But we don't find that until 40 years later when Joshua's at the helm and God calls him into the promised land. You know what? The story of Jericho, those walls falling, could have happened 40 years earlier to that generation that had endured so much. could happen to them, but it didn't. Let's end on a positive note. God still kept His promise. Despite the faithlessness of the people, despite the fear, God still kept His promise. He was angry. He's going to wipe them all out and start over with a whole new nation through Moses. But Moses talked him out of that. And then in this, when God is still faithful, is that God promised that the lineage of Abraham would inherit that, that his children would inherit that land of promise. And that's exactly what God did. That generation missed out. That generation who didn't believe, who didn't live in the promises of God, they missed out. But you know what? The next generation got to inhabit it. God will always keep his promise. Always, never fails. What a demonstration of faith. What a demonstration of mercy and grace and love. That God would even bless the children of those faithless generation before him. Let me conclude by saying this. This is always a very tricky time. Because here's the truth. I don't know where you are right now spiritually. I don't know if you make a regular practice of believing God even when all the evidence says you shouldn't. Even when all the worldly evidence says, man, you should worry and be afraid. I don't know how you're choosing to walk with God. I don't know if you are choosing to do what God said even in difficult circumstances. But what I can tell you is this. God delights in blessing his children. I have never met a father that loved his children that did not delight in blessing them. God wants us to live an abundant, 
full life. Jesus said, I came to give them life and to give it more abundantly. I believe like the Israelites, there is a place that God wants us. There is a life. There are possessions that I believe God wants us to have. And, and I'm not speaking in a, in a prosperity gospel sense. I just believe that there are things that God wants us to have. They're there for us. But in order to gain those, in order to possess those, in order to grow and develop spiritually, we have to be able to exercise our faith. We only see this side. Our vision is limited. Our eyesight is dull when it comes to spiritual matters. We're not able to see all there is to see. And I can't help but wonder sometimes, how many blessings have I forfeited? How many doors of entry and opportunity have been shut? How many times have I had to wander because I didn't follow and believe the simple promises of God? I pray that we would not allow what our eyes see or what our mind thinks to be able to distract us from walking in obedience to God. That we would be a people that are blessed by the very hand of Jesus Christ. This morning, I don't know what's in your heart, where you're at. But if you need help making that right decision, if you need encouragement, this altar will be open. Maybe you want to spend time as a family. Maybe you're caught right in a difficult position and you really want to pray about it. You really want to lay something down. Maybe this morning you know you're not saved and you, your life is really wrapped up in wandering right now. Jesus gives meaning and purpose. Jesus gives direction. I want to ask you tonight, this morning as we pray, if you have a decision, salvation, membership, baptism, rededication, or prayer time, you would make the most of this response time. When you walk out, you can know that your heart is right with God and ready to accomplish what He has for you. Father, I thank You that You love us. I thank You that Your love never fails. And Lord, Your love never failed with Your children in this story. Lord, though You were disappointed, Lord, that they weren't exercising faith, though they had not believed You, though You had nothing but a long list of faithful actions towards them, Lord, you had made the impossible possible. And Lord, every one of us in here can claim the very same thing. You have made the impossible possible for us. And Lord, I pray this morning that that would sink in our heart. Father, if it's dealing with our finances, if it's parenting our children, if it's attempting to have the most godly marriage we can, Father, let us catch a glimpse of the glory land. Let us catch a glimpse of the land of promise. And know, Lord, that you want us to have a marriage that works. You want us to have children that are laid out on the path that they should be. Father, I know that you want us to be righteous and faithful with our finances. Father, there's a whole realm. There's no area of our life that you do not intend your word to apply. And I pray that you would help us do that despite what we may see. Let us fall back on faith and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.